0: called the DNA of a relationship with Jesus. And uh, in the book of Genesis, we've gotten through chapter 15, God's unconditional covenant with his people, which is extended to us through Christ Jesus. And as we jump into 1 John over these next four weeks, the whole purpose is to look at the importance of what a relationship with Jesus actually is. It's one thing to know about somebody. It's one thing to be able to say, Oh, I have knowledge, or I think this is true. It's another thing to have an intimate relationship with the living God. And so as we get into 1 John, we're going to unpack these scriptures in which John, the author and the disciple of Jesus, writes about his intimate relationship with Jesus. And so I'm going to begin by reading the first four verses. We'll pray and then we'll get into the text this morning. 1 John chapter 1. If you're looking for 1 John, it's towards almost the the back of your Bible. There's John the Gospel, same author as 1 John. There's 1, 2, and 3 John. And then there is the Revelation of Jesus Christ, also written by the Apostle John. 1 John chapter 1. John says this, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled, concerning the word of life. The life was manifested, and we have seen Father in heaven, we are thankful that we have the opportunity to gather in the name of Jesus for the purpose of opening your word, your story, your truth given to us to reveal who you are, creator, almighty, savior, lover of our souls. Lord, I pray that you would give us humble hearts and listening ears to be able to receive what you would speak to us today through your word. Lord, I know that I am a sinful man, tasked with teaching a perfect word. And this can only be done by your spirit, and not by my strength. And so Lord, would you speak through me today? Would you give us understanding of who you are, of the relationship that you call us into? ...and the followers of Jesus Christ that we are called to be. We thank you for this time. May it bring glory and honor to you. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? Well, oftentimes as we jump into a new series or a new book specifically... ...it's helpful to know a little bit about the author of the book. And just for clarity's sake, there are at least two very popular Johns in the Scripture. We have John the Baptist and we have John the Apostle. They are not the same person. John the Baptist was what was known as the forerunner or the prophetic messenger that would come declaring that the Messiah had come to earth. The John that we are going to be reading from today is John the Apostle. John the fisherman. And here are a little here's a little bit of background about who John is that may if you know the Gospels strike a memory from your reading that you've done over the years. John often refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus Loved. Loved. It's a self-proclaimed title, and yet it reveals the deep understanding of the ocean of grace that John had been invited to swim in, which flowed from the cross of Christ and his resurrection. John's self-proclaimed title didn't arise from arrogance, it didn't arrive from believing that he was better than the other disciples, but instead it was from a heart that so deeply responded to the love of Jesus because he first loved John just as he first loved us. Yes, it was the first. John was the first to leave John the Baptist. He was a disciple of John the Baptist in the wilderness. And John was the first to leave the Baptist when John the Baptist identified Jesus as the Lamb of God. And he left John the Baptist to follow Jesus, revealing that he was anticipating, that he was anxiously awaiting, that he was preparing himself to follow Jesus the Messiah. It is John who has been nicknamed by Jesus a son of thunder. How many of you remember that story? A town is not willing to receive Jesus and John says, hey, we should really go minister to them in compassion and love. No, that's not what John says. He says, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven and judge them? And Jesus nicknames both John and his brother James, Sons of Thunder. But it's good for us to remember why John had that passionate response. It was because he loved Jesus so deeply. And he believed that he was the Messiah, the Savior of the world. That for someone to reject his beloved caused him deep anguish. And he became very passionate. It is John who leans on Jesus' chest at the Last Supper. It is John who stands at the foot of the cross as Jesus is being crucified and Jesus himself calls upon John to take care of Mary his mother. It is John who recognizes Jesus on the shore when the disciples have gone fishing Discouraged and darkened and not knowing what to do with their life after the crucifixion of Jesus and it's John who recognizes Jesus. They share a meal together of bread and fish on the Sea of Galilee. It is John who writes these words in his gospel beginning not with a genealogy that comes from the family tree of men but instead a heavenly realm where Jesus came to rescue a wandering fisherman who was longing for a savior in a broken world where literally his worldly worth was his lack of education and the sour smell of fish that came from his occupation. John was transformed, his identity found in the embodiment of Jesus's love and joy towards all mankind. That is why John became a disciple of Jesus and a disciple-maker of Jesus. Finally, it's John who in Revelation chapter 1, late in his life as an old man, seeing the things that would be to come in Christ's second return, that he falls on his face out of humility and reverence. Not a Jesus is my homeboy attitude, not a fist bump when he sees Jesus, but taking his rightful place on the floor before his Savior and his God. And here's the beauty of what this whole series is about, the DNA of a relationship with Jesus. John was not doing any of these things because he was better than anybody else. It's not because he was more gifted or because Jesus only chose him. Remember it's a self-proclaimed title, that he is the disciple whom Jesus loved. And the way that John writes 1 John is to communicate to you, to me, to us, that we are the disciple whom Jesus what? Loves. No different than John. You are a disciple whom Jesus loves, and it's the mighty grace of God... That John responded to and embraced. That he loved God with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his mind, and with all his strength. And this brings the fullness of joy. Verse 4, which we'll get to today. The fullness of joy for John to be able to share this truth with others. And so I want to begin by asking us a question. What often keeps us? from responding the same way John did to an abiding relationship with Jesus? What keeps us from responding to an abiding relationship with Jesus? It is the world's fancies that tickle our vain flesh. It's mindless entertainment or sports or wealth that momentarily hijack our amygdalas for fleeting rides of pleasure. But beyond the waning glitter is a love from eternity past into a forever future, that love which both breaks and builds, which both wrecks and restores, not through shame and violent coercion, but with sacrificial love, unwavering grace, immeasurable mercy, God's unconditional pursuit of your soul. If you're taking notes this morning, I'd love for you to write this down. Since the beginning, God has and is pursuing a relationship with you. Since the beginning, God has and is pursuing a relationship with you. Now this may sound wonderful, and it is. But for many of us, how many of you have ever struggled in relationships with other people? Only two in this service. Fantastic. You guys are awesome. Way to go. All of us have struggled with relationships. Human relationships are difficult. And JC, you mean to tell me that God wants to have a relationship with me? But I've bumbled on Bumble. E harmony has become a rejection site. It does more harm to me. Christian Mingle gives me all the wrong tingles. And Higher Bond is killing me. You want me to believe that I can't even get the opposite sex to respond well to me. I can't even get along with my own family. Sometimes I struggle with my spouse or my kids or my neighbors or my co-workers and I'm supposed to have a deep and abiding relationship with the Alpha and Omega, the wonderful counselor, the God of all power and glory and splendor. He wants to have a deep and abiding relationship with someone like me? How can we be certain God desires a relationship with us? Or to make it more personal, how can I be certain that God wants a relationship with me? In 1 John, John writes, That which was from the beginning, That which was from the beginning, when we consider what John is writing, that word beginning may trigger us for other places in the scripture. When you hear the word beginning, where does your mind maybe go? Genesis 1-1, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's where we've been in Genesis. And it's a simple truth, but an important truth. That in the beginning, God was present in the beginning was under his control in the beginning adam and eve had a perfect relationship with god where else might it take us to that word beginning someone someone whispered it john chapter 1 I want you to keep your finger on 1 john and let's together turn to the Gospel of John. It's the last Gospel in the New Testament. John chapter 1 beginning in verse 1. If you're there give me an amen. Amen. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God And the Word was God. We know that John is referring to the Word as who? Jesus. He, meaning Jesus, was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. Who is the Him? Therefore, Jesus is who? He is God and He is the Creator. All things were made through Him. And without Him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it, or it cannot conquer it. John's gospel begins with, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and through him all things were created. To answer that question... How can I be certain God desires a relationship with me? First and foremost is that Jesus is the creator. Jesus is the creator. Now, this may not be a profound truth to many, but oftentimes we simply assign creation to kind of the general Godhead, right? We just say God. But if we remember John's gospel, teaches us that it is Jesus who is the creator. And here's why this matters in the understanding of the DNA of a relationship with Jesus. If Jesus is the creator, then he is your builder and your maker and your inventor. He knows your heart and your mind and your soul and your body better than you know it yourself. As the creator, he intentionally fashioned you from what we are told in Genesis chapter 2 in his image. Nothing else in the universe. The billions of galaxies. The quadrillions of stars. That's not even a number. I just made it up trying to express how many stars there are. Out of all the plant life and animal life, everything on earth Everything in the universe, nothing was created in God's image except for you. And he did that intentionally. The creator made you for the purpose of having a deep and abiding relationship with you. Jesus is the creator. And he specifically created you to be a disciple whom He loves. That's why it's important that we understand Jesus is our creator. He desires to be in relationship with us. And not only does he desire to be in relationship with us, but it's the duration of how long he wants to be in that relationship. Uh, My wife and I often have this conversation. The Bible is abundantly clear that if you are married, that time that you are married is to be until death do you part, meaning until one spouse dies, then you are no longer married. And in the Gospels, Jesus answers the question of the Pharisees of, hey, uh, you know, there was a person, they were married seven times, who are they going to be married to in heaven? And Jesus makes it abundantly clear, you're not going to be married in heaven, at least not to your spouse here on earth. And the reason why is because you are the bride of Christ and he is your husband and you will live in eternal fellowship with him. My wife and I have this conversation of at least where we're at in this season of our marriage, that's hard for me to fathom. I really, really love being married to my wife, but I don't get to be married to her for eternity. Now, some of you may be sitting there going, praise Jesus, what a genius he was. (laughs) 30 more years, whatever it is. (laughs) The second point I want to make is that Jesus is eternal. Jesus is eternal. Not only is he your creator who designed you for relationship with him, but this is how much he loves you. He wants to be in an eternal relationship with you. One that literally lasts forever. In Psalm 139, the psalmist writes that God has more precious thoughts about us than there is sand on the seashore. They cannot be numbered. And for some of us, or probably most of us, that's hard to believe. With all the things I've done in my life, and looking back on my past, that God would have precious thoughts about me that outnumber the sand on the seashore, Yes, because God designed you for an eternal relationship with him. The eternal nature of God is revealed in Revelation chapter 1 verse 8. It's up here on your screens. Let's read it together with one loud voice. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. What I love about Revelation chapter 1 verse 8 is it said, Who is? Who is now? Who is present? Who is pursuing you in relationship? Who was? Meaning, we were not here until we were conceived. And yet God knew all about us even before that moment. Because he is eternal. Which means even before the world began, he had who in mind us. That's wild to me. He thought of you as an individual. He thought of us as the body of Christ. He knew the intricate details of how he would make each one of us. He knew the sins and mistakes in which we would fall short in. And yet, he still pursues a relationship with us by giving his own life and by resurrecting from the dead So that we can have an eternal relationship with our Creator. Finally, when we consider this term in the beginning, John in his Gospel says that all things were made through him and that the Word became flesh. Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus is God in the flesh. If you turn back to 1 John, turn back to 1 John, notice what John says in verse 1. John says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled, considering the word of life. Although it's brief, John is communicating something incredibly valuable to us. John was a disciple that literally and physically and spiritually walked with Christ. And notice what he says. He says, which we have heard, which means this. When John was there listening to Jesus' sermon on the mount. When John was there around the campfire when they would be on the outskirts of the whatever city they were about to go into and have conversation. When John was there listening to Jesus, teaching the masses and the crowds of people, he was hearing whose voice? The voice of God. And John, in his joy, from his own experience, is sharing that with us. We have heard him. And then John says, and we have seen him with our eyes. We have looked upon him, which meant this. When John walked with Jesus, when he sat in the boat across from Jesus, when he looked upon his resurrected body and ate bread and fish with him on the seashore of Galilee, he was looking at who? He was looking at God in the flesh. Because God desired to leave his place of glory for the purpose of coming to earth, to meet us where we were at, dead in our sins and our transgressions, for the purpose of creating that bridge in which we could be saved and restored into eternal relationship with both the Father and the Son. John even goes so far as to say, and we... And our hands have handled concerning the word of life. Um, it's interesting to think about. For the disciples, did they know that Jesus was a man? That was easy for them. I mean, think about what they did. They're walking along the road, and Jesus just kind of elbows John just for fun. He felt him. Hey, Jesus, where'd you go? I had to go do my business. Oh, yeah. Okay. Do we think that way about Jesus? No. The disciples knew he was fully man. What did they have trouble wrapping their heads and hearts around? That he was also fully God. We are on the opposite shore. We know that Jesus is fully God. But it's a struggle for us to understand that he came in full humanity but without sin. That he was like us in every respect. That he knew what the flu was like. That he knew what it was like when somebody made fun of him and how that made him feel. He knew what it was like to lose a parent at a young age. He had those emotions. He had those physical feelings in his body. He understood the weakness of the human makeup. It's amazing to me that God would stoop so low as to come in the flesh for this very purpose, that we may have a deep and abiding relationship with him. When you consider the people in your own life that you're very close to, that you have good relationships with, it's often because you've been through things together. When I look back at the 13 years of my marriage with my wife Jocelyn, We've been through a lot. And I love her more and more because of what we have been through together, what she understands about me, what I get to understand about her. And that doesn't magically happen, does it? Good marriages don't just pop out, it requires time and investment and sacrifice and humility, it requires forgiveness and mercy and grace. It requires a deep and abiding love that is unconditional and this is what God did when Jesus came in the flesh to be in relationship with us. Jesus is the creator. He is eternal and He is God in the flesh. In verse 2 John goes on to say, The life was manifested. Manifested simply means clearly revealed. And we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. Uh, There's a couple of key words that I want to focus on real quick in verse 2. The first one is that once again, John says, And we have seen. He's communicating to his readers what we don't get to see. We don't get to see Jesus in the flesh. But I want to encourage you in something. When we consider all of the disciples, was their relationship strongest when they physically walked with Jesus while he was on the earth, or after he had ascended and God sent his spirit? In which did they have a more deep and abiding relationship in Jesus? Isn't that interesting? Because how many of us have ever thought, man, if I could just physically walk with Jesus, like my faith would be amazing. Just me. Okay. (laughs) Has anyone ever thought that before? If I could just see God in the flesh. And yet the beauty of what the scripture teaches us is that even for the disciples who got to walk with Jesus, their relationship grew and was more deep and abiding with Christ after he had ascended to his Father, when he sent his Holy Spirit. John, in this season of his life, is an old man as he's writing. And we see where his walk is. We see his joy in wanting to communicate the importance of a relationship with Jesus Christ. And in verse 2, he says that we bear witness Um, It's interesting, this word in the Greek is where we get our word martyr. To be a martyr is to be a witness for Christ. We often associate it with death, and there's truth to that. But don't forget, it's not just a physical death. It's an actual death to self, to bear witness for Jesus so that he becomes greater and we become less. Because this is what a relationship with Jesus looks like. The second thing that he says, he says, "...and bear witness and declare to you." This declaration has an emphasis of authority, an emphasis of commission. When we go to Matthew chapter 28, Jesus commissions his disciples, "...go therefore into all the nations and make disciples of me, baptize them, teach them my commandments... Make disciples of me. And the only way that we can make disciples is by having what with Jesus? Relationship with Jesus. A relationship with Jesus is the only way to eternal life. A relationship with Jesus is the only way to eternal life. Now again, this is probably not a shocking point. But we often lose sight of what a relationship with Jesus is. Eternal life can't come by only knowing about God. Eternal life can't come by going to church or trying to be a good person. Attempting to do your best to be moral. Eternal life can't come by being religiously devoted to rituals or rules. This is what the Jews got caught up in. It's what Jesus comes to teach them. It's why he appears to them in the flesh. I want you to have a relationship with me. I don't want you to religiously follow rules and rituals because that is not their purpose to save you. Romans chapter eight, verses three through four makes this clear up on your screens. It says, the law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. Before we move on, we'll keep it right there. God sent his son because the law could not save us. We couldn't have a what with the law. A relationship with the law. How many of you have a relationship with the speed limit? None of us have a relationship with the speed limit. Literally, huh? Nobody abides by the speed limit. No one has a relationship with the speed limit because it's not relational. It's simply a signpost, a guideline. It's not a person. It's not a savior. You can be following the speed limit and yet still get in a what? an accident. When it comes to a walk with Jesus Christ, even if you have an accident, you can still be saved. Even when you sin rebelliously, through forgiveness and repentance, you can be saved. It is only through a relationship with Jesus that we can have eternal life. Let's look at the rest of this verse, Romans chapter 8 verse 4. And in that body, meaning Jesus, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving His Son as a sacrifice for our sins. In the coming weeks, we're really going to unpack how a relationship with Jesus transforms our life from one of following our sinful nature to a life filled by following the Spirit of God. Not just by rules and rituals, but because of a deep and abiding relationship with Jesus Christ. Why is this important? Why does this matter to us? Why did God send his son as the only way to eternal life, and it's us who has to have a relationship with him? Here's why. Because our highest calling in life is fellowship with God. Our highest calling in life is fellowship with God, consider the sun that God made—not not His only begotten Son, but the literal sun that we have. The sun gives glory to God when it does what it's called to do. What's it called to do? To shine. Uh, be more specific. Give to give light and to provide heat for the purpose of sustaining life. The sun does what it's called to do, which brings God the most glory. When we consider his creation like something like a flower, when a flower blossoms and blooms, it displays an array of colors or scents that attract butterflies and bees. And through nectar and pollen, those creatures survive and other things are planted. And just by its sheer beauty, it glorifies God. Jesus would even say, look at the lilies of the field. They toil not, they don't work for what they have, and yet they are more beautifully clothed than even Solomon was at the peak of his reign because they're simply doing what they're called to do. And our highest calling is to be in fellowship with God, to be in relationship with Him. And here's why that's so important to us. How often do we pursue other callings in life above fellowship with God. I know looking back at my life, for a season it was football. And then after that it was TV broadcasting. And then after that it was relationships with the opposite sex. And over and over again I was seeking a calling that was not what God was wanting to use me to bring glory to Him. My highest calling is to be in fellowship, in relationship with Jesus Christ. Because in relationship we follow Jesus. And living in relationship isn't just mere sentiments or emotions. There is actually a way to walk in a relationship with Jesus. And this may be surprising because we just talked about the law. But here is what God's Word says in John 14, so written by the Apostle that we're looking at in 1st John, John 14, 15 says this, if you love me, do what? Wait a minute, but the law can't save. So what's going on here? If we love God, he tells us to what? Here's what I know about my own relationship with my kids. If my kids trust me, if they believe that I'm their provider and their protector and their guide, if we have a healthy relationship together, what is the result in my child's life? Obedience. Obedience. Because obedience is meant to come from a place of love. It's a response of our love for God because he first loved us. Too often in our world, whether it be in sports or in school or in all the different areas uh, like work, obedience often comes from coercion or manipulation or forcefulness. How many of you have ever been at the uh, park or the grocery store and there's that like screaming kid and the mom goes, One, two, what comes after two? I would say two and a half, but you're right and then does the kid do what the mom wants no so the mom then goes well if you and then it goes on this is not a relationship with Jesus Christ this is not how it looks this is what a relationship with Jesus Christ looks like while you were still sinners I died for you while you were at your lowest point in rebellion against me I first loved you I have more precious thoughts about you than you can imagine. And when we have understanding by God's grace that that's who he is and how much he loves us, we then respond in love. And that love manifests itself in what? Obedience. It's a wonderful marker to look at where your relationship with Jesus Christ is. Are you walking in obedience to Him as a response of love for His love for you? If you love me, obey my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another advocate. Who is this speaking of? The Holy Spirit, who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. How do we recognize the Holy Spirit? Through a what? A relationship with Jesus Christ. Here's why that's so important. Because it removes hyper-spirituality from our relationship with Jesus Christ. You're not introduced to the Holy Spirit by somebody convulsing on stage. You're not introduced to the Holy Spirit by signs and wonders. You're introduced to the Holy Spirit through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Not because of anything you've done, but because of what Christ has done for you. John continues and says, but you know him, meaning the Holy Spirit, because he lives with you now. He's speaking to his apostles and later will be in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. Soon the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Since I live, you also will live. Our relationship is intertwined with the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We'll finish this off. When I am raised to life again, you will know that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. Look at 1st John chapter 1 verse 3 John says that which we have seen and heard we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us and here's how he describes the us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son Jesus Christ. It's what John writes about in his gospel. When I am raised to life again you will know that I am in my Father And you are in me, and I am in you. That highest calling is for us to be in fellowship, in relationship with the Father and with the Son through the Holy Spirit. Now as we get ready to close this section in verse 4, if through relationship we know that we are loved, we know that we're saved, we know that the triune God is our protector and our provider. There is a wonderful result in which we see John proclaiming, or as he says, bearing witness and declaring to us that a relationship with God is the most important calling in our life. He does it with joy. He doesn't do it because he has to. He doesn't do it because he gets paid to. He does it because a relationship with Jesus, the result is joy. The last note I have for you today is a transformed life in Jesus transmits joy for Jesus. A transformed life in Jesus transmits joy for Jesus. Uh, to give you an idea, transmission. A uh, transmission is the process by which something is passed from one person to to another. The transmission of joy began with Jesus. Could you imagine if the Bible recorded God, the Father, going, hey Jesus, I'd like you to go to earth to die. And Jesus was like, oh, I don't want to. Well, hey, I'll give you a really big lollipop that'll last for all eternity if you do. Okay, fine, I'll do it. That would be a terrible gospel. It wouldn't be the good news. Jesus joyfully left heaven and came to earth. And that joy was transmitted from him to who? Oh, to his apostles, to his disciples. And now John is doing the same thing through a relationship with Jesus, in which he now has a relationship with his heavenly Father. He is transmitting joy to those who are listening to the words that he writes. In John 15, 9 through 11, read with me on the screens, one loud voice. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. Uh, Real quick, that abiding, that abiding is a deep relationship. Verse 10, if you keep my commandments... You will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. I love what Jesus is revealing. Jesus is simply showing us a pattern. And here is the pattern. Jesus came to earth, lived among men, shared God's word with perfect understanding, raised up disciples... He did all of this out of obedience to who? His Father. Because he is loved by his Father and his response to his Father is love. Because his Father transmitted joy to him and Jesus is now transmitting joy to his disciples. We simply follow after the pattern of Christ. Just as Jesus walked in obedience to his Father, we are called to walk in obedience to Jesus. Verse 11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. It is every bit of God's intent for our life to be full of joy. And here's the type of joy that we are called to not to be begrudging Christians. Not to be grumpy Christians. But the joy that comes through a relationship with Jesus, it impacts the way that we serve. So that as we serve others, how do people see that service? It's done with joy. This morning when I got here early, um, Dale was already in the parking lot, of course. And he was cleaning up some unfavorable things on the sidewalk. And I said, Dale, thanks so much for doing that. And his smile was genuinely this big and he's like, it's my joy. How is it your joy to clean off poop from the sidewalk? Not because he's such a good guy, but because of his relationship with Jesus Christ. That transmits joy to who? Oh, to me and to now all of you, that joy impacts the way that we carry out our roles as husband or as a wife. That joy infects the way that we see other people instead of being judgmental and condemning, being invitational and friendly. Charles Spurgeon wrote these words. He says, Jesus Christ loves warm people. He never shines on an iceberg except to melt it. His own life is so full of love that its holy fire kindles the like flame in others, and thus he has fellowship with those whose hearts burn within them. The fitness for love is love. To enjoy the love of Jesus, we must overflow with love. Pray for earnest, eager, and intense affection. Church family, I want to encourage you. A relationship with Jesus transmits joy to us because we know that we are disciples whom Jesus what? Whom Jesus loves. You are a disciple whom Jesus loves. And if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you have repented or asked for forgiveness for your sins, recognizing that he is the savior of the world, the only way to eternal life. He is pursuing a deep and abiding relationship with you. And it's through the cross of Christ and His resurrection that that is made available for all mankind. You may freely share this message with others as long as you don't charge for it. Support for these broadcasts comes from your generous donations that allow us to give away our materials for free. To participate with us, please visit our website at themissionchurch.net. God bless.